prayer is very important to me. And usually like around this time of the year, I usually get prayer meetings in my house. I love prayer meetings. Prayer meeting for me is the, is the one because you really feel the presence when you pray, you know? The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the magazine that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. Get yourself a free sample copy of the latest issue featuring a fantastic cover story by Matt Redman on recovering the holiness of God in our worship music. Get a free copy now at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Our special guest on the show this week is Misha Paris. Misha is a singer, presenter and actress. She released her debut album, So Good, in 1988, which spawned numerous hit singles, including My One Temptation and Where Is The Love. She's gone on to release another seven albums. Her most recent one is entitled Gospel. She's also starred in EastEnders. And in this interview with Premier's very own Ibe, she opens up about some of her life, some of her career, and why she's released this brand new album entitled Gospel. Let's have a listen. It's been 30 years since uh, the um, release of So Good. Um, in fact, 31 years, current 31 years. And it sold over a million copies. Um, this young lady that I'm about to speak to started... I believe around about 14 years old, she'll probably tell me. Uh, my One Temptation was in the charts for about 11 weeks, signed to Island Records, um, has worked with the likes of Prince uh, and um, Rod Templeton. And I'm so pleased to be speaking to the one and only Misha Parrish. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Hi, darling. Thank Hi, you baby. so much. And, and I just want to say welcome back. I, I mean, it's been literally i'd say 11 years since your last album absolutely yeah born again that was the last born one again as it uh, 2009 2009 that's right so yeah, why has it yeah. taken so long for you to come back well, nobody and... wanted to sign me i always find that hilarious when people ask me that question because nobody really? wanted to sign me you know no and uh, i'm always i'm always uh, writing and, and producing but in between uh, to be honest i was very busy i mean i literally i had you know, I was doing what not to wear at one point. I had a, I had two Radio 2 series, um, one lasting five years, another one lasting three years. Misha Meets was the last one. The first one was called Soul Solutions. Yeah. That was great. And I had everyone, Mary J, just everybody, Erica, everyone's on that. Everyone's on there. Lou Rawls, you name it. And so that was great. So I was busy doing that, busy doing TV. Um, and then I went on tour with, with musicals. You know, then I started doing mm. theatre a lot. I did Chicago, um, I starred in Fame, uh, and I was on tour with Fame for two years. And then we ended up in the West End uh, last October after the tour. And then I left um, um, Fame, I, we finished in the West End, and then I got the phone call to make a BBC4 documentary. Yeah. Uh, and they asked me, what do I want to do? It was produced by Lenny Henry. You know, Lenny asked me, Misha, you know, what would you like to make? And I said, well, I want to do, the, I, I want to do a, a, a doc about gospel and the, the, the music and where it started, where it was written. Now, remember, this is November last year, mm. right? I flew to Memphis, Atlanta, LA, and went to the slave museums and all of the places where slavery was happening 
and to get the history of the songs. Thomas A. Dorsey, all those guys. And when I tell you it was the most soul-stirring event of my life, I can't even go into it. You know, I know all about my history, black history. I know all about it, um, read about it, know everything. My, my parents were very informative in that way. I knew everything about the civil rights, knew all about it. Well, my dad was, my dad's like an encyclopedia, very intelligent man. So mm. I was well versed on it. But when you're there in the actual place where it happened, in the room where the slaves were kept and you're yeah. in that room and it hasn't been changed since 1700 and whatever, it is so powerful. And then I sang all the songs on the documentary, a cappella, most of them. Something happened, I suddenly realized that when I sing gospel music, I sound, I sound different. Something different happens <laughs> with my voice. Now, I was like, yeah, but Misha, you've always had that kind of voice. Yeah, okay, but in my mind, when I grew up in the gospel church of my grandparents, where they were ministers, I'd been going to church from one all the way through to 16. You know, I was churched mm. out by 16. I was like, I don't want no more Jesus, I'm done. So I was on the run. I was like, I was out of there, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I, I just wanted to be a soul singer. Because, and, and begged my grandparents to sign my record deal for me because I was too young to sign it by myself. Remember, dad was coming over and visiting me with mum at weekends before that, playing me Miles Davis, Marvin Gaye, Isley Brothers, <laughs> Curtis Mayfield. And I was just like, I don't want to be a soul singer now. I'm done with Jesus. And so uh, my grandparents reluctantly, like I really begged them, you know what I'm saying? And I was like their little favourite because I was a mm. star of the church. You know, I just came out of Spirit of Watts. Um, I was singing all over the country. Basically, Everyone knew that this little girl, Misha, she's got this wicked voice, and but she's a skinny long thing, but she's got a great voice. And so I was kind of famous in the New Testament body of, of churches. And even with London Community Gospel Choir and Basil, I used to sing with Basil at the lead for him and stuff. So I was kind of a known face in the gospel scene you know I was quite big I won won lots of awards so it was a very big thing for me to leave the church everyone was like totally devastated but my grandparents I I told them I wanted to make soul music and you can imagine what happened then my grandparents were like Lord Jesus oh God Michelle you know my real name is Michelle Michelle oh God oh the drugs you're gonna have the drugs and you're going to and then after the drugs you're going to to, to become a harlot and i was like <laughs> what what's a harlot so i went and looked up the word harlot i was like oh my gosh i was horrified so i said to my grandma i said no no i promise you i will never be a drug addict i promise you i'll never be a harlot just sign the contract i promise you well, michelle you're sure yes and anyway, so they signed it, bless them, because I was their little favourite, you know what I mean? I, I could twist them around my finger. Not many people could, by the way, because he's a pastor, you know, my granddad, he was yeah. hardcore. But he had a thing for me, you know, he loved me, and I love him, you know, he was just adorable. Um, but I think maybe because I bought his dinners and lunches on Sundays and stuff, and <laughs> <laughs> I, used to bring his, I used to bring his lunch to work on my chopper, you know, so yeah, it oh, was a very gosh, yes. special... You remember the chopper? I had a yeah, yeah, chopper, the thing in the black, middle, black and gold with a gear yeah, stick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to take his lunch to, to work for him. You know, when he worked for British Rail. So I was like his little favorite. You know, so I could wrap him around my finger. And he went, oh, "Promise me, you're not going to." I said, like, "I promise you, Granddad and Grandma." What they called him Mama and Dada. And so they signed the papers. And a couple of weeks after that, I was on top of the pops. 
my record literally just went bang. It killed it. And then I remember going home a couple of weeks after to, I just missed her food, grandma, you know, and I went home to have some Sunday dinner. When I opened, when I knocked the door and they opened the door, my grandparents were stood there with Misha Paris t-shirts on. Oh, look at that. It was such a moment. <laughs> look at that. And I was just like, oh, you know, and so, you know, I, I went off and did soul music for how many years? You guys know, uh, I've made eight albums. But that documentary did something. Mm. And then Warners saw the documentary, called up and offered me a record deal. And I then got EastEnders after that. <laughs> and uh, so when I come off the set of EastEnders, I was straight in the studio making this album. I've never made an album so fast. I made this album in three weeks. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, uh, and basically the songs were chosen in uh, two days. These are songs, not just from the documentary, the ones I added, like Something Inside So Strong. I want to know what love is. Um, still haven't found what I'm looking for. These songs I chose because, for me, they remind me of church songs. They have that inspirational message of hope. And I felt like they got me out of stuff in the past. So I'm going to put them in there because everyone's in it right now. They need that right now. They need that virtual hug with the music. And I said to my producer, Brian, who's Grammy Award winning uh, producer, he, you know, he did Born Again as well. But he's huge. I mean, he does like, you know, everybody. Cher, Enrique Iglesias, he's amazing. And um, I said to him, you know, he said, oh, Misha, I don't really do the gospel thing. I said, I said, it doesn't matter. God uses anyone to do stuff. It's all good. And I just said, well, how we got to do it? We've got to do it stripped. We've got to strip it. I want to take it back to how gospel was when I was a kid. You know, when I grew up listening to the Hawkins family, I was obsessed. When my friends were out playing, I was in the house, eight years old, playing Be Grateful. God will open doors, change. And I could tell you, everyone who was on the record, I could tell you the bass guy, the guitar guy, the drummer. The, I even knew who, who had the triangle. I was obsessed. <laughs> By the time I was like nine, I could do every single ad lib like Lynette, Tremaine. I was nailing it at nine. But that was because I was literally studying them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that. I just had to be, I had to, because in my head I was thinking, my aunt was importing all the records, because you know, I grew up with my grandparents. So in mm. my grandparents' house, her, their children were still there, just two of them were left in the house. And they're classically trained, you know. Uh, one's got bachelor honors, all that. My, my mm. family are really educated. I'm the only one that's not. <laughs> I've only got two O-levels to my name. Um, I left school because I, I got signed at 17, you know, so I quit yeah. college, didn't I? I was doing my A-levels, you know, and I quit college to, to, um, to, to, to be signed up. That's why my grandparents were also having a meltdown because I was doing yeah. good at school. And they thought I was going to be a designer. Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's what I was doing. But cut a long story short, my aunt used to import the Hawkins records from America. And when everyone used to go out, I used to tiptoe in her room and take it out, bring it into the shrine. The shrine is the living room. Mm. I mean, the, the, everything on the sofa is plastic. You know, you've got to make sure that the, you don't touch anything. You know, the, yes. the, you know, you know the, the, the typical yeah. Jamaican, the yes. you know how it is. 
yeah. and 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 that's where the record player was. So it, when I walked into this room, I made sure I didn't touch anything. And when I picked up that needle, honey, when I say with care, the hand was shaking. That's how yeah. nervous I was because yeah. I was so scared. Because if I ever scratched that record, and my aunt Colleen knew, I would be toast. It was Finish. gold dust every time mm. those records came over, you know. But they were my teachers. So if you can imagine that, while my mates are out playing on the street, my, my chopper's parked up and I'm in the, the, the shrine listening over and over and over, God will open doors for you. Uh, there's a war going on. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. It's just my grandmother knew I could sing when I was seven and, and I became obsessed with it. So who were your peers? Because you, obviously you, you were in a group. Um, who were your peers at the time? I know people like Brian Powell and Levine Hudson. And Levine, yeah. Levine Hudson and and uh, Pat Knight. Yes, Patricia Knight. Pat yeah, Knight yeah. was she was great, great voice and a lovely girl too. And um, um, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what that is. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I, I no, almost touched my face. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, because you know sometimes messages come through. No. Um, my peers were, were Levine. It was Levine and Patricia Knight. And uh, who else was there? Wade Brothers. The Wade, I remember yeah, the Wade yeah. Brothers. Wade Brothers, yeah. Lovely yeah. guys. Lovely yeah. guys. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it was London Community Gospel Choir. And it was, it was Lawrence Johnson and, yeah. and uh, Simon Wallace, Kojic. Kojic Choirs. It was all those guys. Because I went to New T, right? So New Testament was strict. You know, I went to church like pretty much seven days a week. We had choir practice, Bible study. We were always yeah. prayer meeting in the house. It was constant. I'm leading up to Sunday. And then Sunday was the day, you know. Um, and what happened was I started to get called to sing in other places other than Broccoli Church, which is my granddad's church. He's a pastor of, you see. Lee would start calling me the mothership. Lee was the mothership. Yeah, and they would they started calling me to sing there because everyone just wanted me to sing at their places, right? But then I started singing with the London Community Choir, Gospel Choir. Then I started doing stuff um, with their concerts, Basil's concerts, Basil Mead, and Simon Wallace and Lawrence, and and that's when trouble started, sort of thing. That's when my New Testament church, well, we don't like this version of gospel. It's too, it's too worldly. It, it, it no, it's not no. And it was it's, that, and I was just it's like, not oh, it's all God. God's in it? Yeah, yeah. I thought it's all God's in it. No, no, no. <laughs> and it was that, and it was, so I started feeling a bit torn at this point. And even when I joined Spirit of Watts, I think I must have joined Spirit of Watts when I was 15. Uh, what Viv Broughton will tell you the ages, he's amazing. He's that an encyclopedia, because yeah. he was man, he came and he discovered me singing at um, church when I was probably 13. That's when I went with Viv, and Viv then put me with, uh, the spirit of what's we all got together yeah. and he started managing us you know we we were we they were in leader already those guys in spirit of what's i was broccoli which was the little church compared to the, the big lead church so what i mean yeah. i joined them then i became the lead singer of the spirit of what's and we got a real name for ourselves um but what happened was there was a lot of stress in that group as well because remember i was the baby in the group i was yeah. so much younger than everyone else but everyone was obsessed with me that caused a little friction in the band. You saw what I'm saying? Because it's like, this little girl, she's always doing all the singing. What's that about? It was that. <laughs> and I kept saying, well, why don't you do it then? Do you know? And I was like, you know what I was like? I was shocking like that. I just, 
blunt, you know. Well, if you don't like it, then, well, you know. <laughs> but I had that going on. Then I had the church saying that me doing the music like with uh, Basil and all those guys was, and Spirit Awards was not right. I felt really pressured, you know, yeah. as a yeah. teenager. I just felt like, why is it so different? We're talking about God, aren't we? Like, what's the issue? I didn't get it. Just didn't understand it. And so this was my departure. I was on my way out then. I was starting to go, I need to get out of here. You know, it's too restrictive. I can't do it. And then I really pressured Viv. <laughs> I, like, I pressured Viv to get me a recording contract. And you're too young. You're too young. No, I'm not. So basically, Paul and I put the demos together. Uh, Viv put the package together, took the pictures, got it all sorted. And then we went to Ireland and all the record labels. But I fell in love with Ireland Records because when, the minute I walked into Chiswick, that building, that house, yeah. Bono walked past, Grace Jones was in the hallway, Stevie Winwood, and you wow. know Bob Marley was on the wall. And I got like a smell was the Jamaican food in the background. It was just the place to be. And I turned around to Viv and I was like, no, 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 forget everybody else. We've got to be here. I need to be here. This is it. And uh, yeah, that's where it all kicked off. I, I actually remember when um, when you first came out and they and the uh, press and the news were saying oh, this this young girl called Misha Paris and you would I think you was on the the program after the news it was after six I I, I can't I, London tonight or, or it used to be London tonight or something like that yeah and yeah 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 it was one of those programs and they highlighted you as being uh, uh, the answer to Aretha Franklin and um, obviously watching you. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, saying, I remember the good. pressure of that. I always remember the pressure of that because I remember thinking, how could they put me with people like that? I remember thinking at that time when they were saying stuff, like, I was like, I'm, I'm only young. Like, how can you put me with Aretha when I'm like 17? Like, what yeah. is that? I didn't get it. I, I felt very pressured by that. So you, you, you obviously recorded the album. You got signed. And then all of a sudden, um, you were kind of whisked off to America because I know that you did Letterman, uh, you did the Sinbad oh, all of show, yeah all, the, yeah, all of them, yeah. So what was yeah. that like? What was that like? Going, like just coming from London, and then obviously being on these big top shows in America, meeting all these these um, these people. What was that like? It was really crazy. It was very surreal. It felt like, well, I actually. I was here for quite a bit though before I, I, I was mm. whisked off. Um, so you know, we 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 you know, uh, temptation breathe life into me. Where is the love? Um, um, like dreamers do. We had four big hits like back to back. You know, um, so I was here doing everything. But what happened is I started to meet people here. Do you know, like just before the record came out, I went to the Prince concert and I got that special mm. ticket for Camden. It was a private gig, and. Um, I still, to this day, you know, I've hung up with that man how many times over the years? And I've never been, I never asked him how he knew who I was. I just don't know how he knew that because I hadn't come out yet when I was at that gig. I hadn't even put the record out. And I, we were there squashed into the Camden Palace and it, everybody was there. Mickey Rourke, every A-lister was in the palace. Did I care about anybody in there? No. <laughs> All I cared about was him. I was 18. And um, I, was, I took my best mate from school with me and we stood there and we're right at the front and I can't believe I'm waiting for him to come on. He took ages to come on. And then when he came on, I nearly lost my mind. I couldn't take my eyes off him. Because you see, prior to that, while I was at church, giving it Jesus, I used to buy his records and put them under my bed. 
<laughs> when I was like 13, I used to go to Red Records in Brixton and I used yeah. to buy, you know, my, just get my pocket money. I'd go to Red Records in Brixton. I used to buy the 12 inches and stuff, you know, because I couldn't afford the albums. And Controversy, like that was like, oh, what a tune, man. And I, oh, I went crazy for it. But I had to put it under the bed because, you know, he had suspenders on. If my grandparents <laughs> ever saw that, that was the end of it. You know, so then what like, is this? Yes, I was hiding all the, the stuff. So you couldn't, so fast forward to 18. I've had this music all that time. Mm. All my mates think I'm nuts because my music taste is weird. Nobody got Prince back then. They all thought he was a freak. Yeah. Um, but I saw it. I saw this guy as something that I just knew he was, I can't even explain it. I just knew he was the one. And, you know, I loved him. I just loved him. And um, didn't even see the, the suspenders. It made no, it, it didn't even care. It's just the music got me, you know? So when I saw him walk on the stage, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to start going with the guitar and everything. And then halfway through, he went, don't you sing? And I turn around thinking, who's he talking to? Who's that? Don't you sing? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> then he took the mic and he goes, sing. And then he started playing Just My Imagination. Now, I know that song. You know that song. We all know that song. Yeah. But could I remember the words that day? All I could remember, <laughs> it was just my imagination. I couldn't remember the rest. I was so nervous because you remember everybody's there. It's like, yeah, you know, he's right, pointing yeah. me out. And I'm like, I'm a teenager who's first concert. It's all going off. And he's talking to me. And I thought, <laughs> no, it's too much. So I just thought, you know what? Do what you used to do when you were in church. When, you know, you used to hold the notes really long. When I was really young, that's what I used to do. I used to hold the notes long. It was like my party trick. I knew every time I held the notes long, everyone would go in the spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was Come eight, on. you know. So, so what I did was I went, it was just. That was it. Held the note really long. Everyone went mental. And then he went crazy. And that was the, the whole place erupted. It was, it was nuts. <laughs> And then the next day he called up and said, would I join the band? And I, wow. I said, the typical Misha, look. No, I can't join the band because I just got signed. <laughs> I just got signed to Ireland. I can't join the band. But I really would like, I'd really like to work with you. And he goes, well, I'd love to work with you, you know. And then I went to LA to do some TV or whatever, touring. I was touring with Ashley and Simpson at that point. Wow. And he called my hotel room. I don't know how he found out where I was. But he, he found out where I was staying and I, I got a phone call in the morning and it was, uh, hi Misha, uh, I'm from Prince's office. Um, Prince would like to send you some demos. So he sent over the, I, I didn't believe it was him, you know, I thought it was all, I thought it was hocus, hocus madness. But no, it was him. And uh, I went downstairs to the lobby and there the tapes were, it was the tapes in those days. Wow. And um, there was four songs on the tape and the only one I chose was uh, If I Love You Tonight. The minute I heard that, I loved it. And I, and I said, I won't do that. And then I flew to Minneapolis and hung out with him there with coffee and cream. And after that, we became good, really good friends. He's, he's adorable. He was very much a promoter of female artists, this guy. A lot of people don't say that much about him in that regard, but he was very pro-woman. He really pushed a lot of women. And he was very helpful to me in my career. And um, we had the same manager for a while. And then... For many years, I'd, he would fly over and I'd meet him and we'd go clubbing and hang. He, he, you know, he didn't say much. I mean, I could probably say everything he said on one hand. You know, every... <laughs> but I, you know, he didn't need to with me because, you know, I can talk to Britain. So I talked his ear off. 
and he loved it. And that's what we did. And we used to just hang and I'd get a phone call at four and Misha come and meet me. And I'd go and meet him and I'd drag Paula along, my sis, and uh, we'd go and hang out with him. Was, was he a, a quiet guy? Yeah. But he had times when he wasn't, though. He had times when he would let off, you know, and be a bit of a prankster and a joker. But essentially, Prince was a very sort of uh, introverted type of person, you know, and, and comes alive when he talks about music, that kind of guy. He's very unusual. He's very unusual. Character-wise, he's an unusual guy. Hmm? What was his style like in, in the studio, working with him? He's great. He was, you know, he, you know his thing was... Um, well, a lot of people don't realize that when I took the song, um, I, I, I produced it. I asked him, can I do it? I didn't let him produce If I Love You Tonight. I did it myself with my two boys in, in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, because I didn't want him to produce it. But the reason being is because, and he was great about it. He was like, no, oh, that's fine. You can take it. But I went to Minneapolis to hang with him and he wanted me to hear the songs in the vault. And, uh, you, know, you know, he's like, do you want to hear the songs in the vault? Yeah, I like yeah <laughs> right he opened, and he starts playing the songs and he's like what what do you think amazing then he plays another one what do you think like what do you say everything he played was insane like and uh that's what made me laugh about him he's asking me, little old me what do i think <laughs> it's like, right but the reason why i wanted to produce the song myself was because at that time he had all these females he was producing he had uh Cat, uh, he was producing Cat at that time. He was producing um, Taja Savelle, uh, Love is Contagious. He was doing all those artists. And I didn't want to be another one of those. That's what I was worried about. I mean, this is how I used to think. You know, I was like, when I look back, I'm like, you silly woman. You should have just let him do it, you know? But he was so cool about it. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he was lovely. He was like, no, no, it's fine. I mean, she can produce it, you know, and he was fine. And he let me do it. And then after that, we just became friends. And it was cool. Where were you when you heard the news that he'd passed? Well, I'd seen him six months before that. So the weird thing was I hadn't seen him in like seven years at that point because he went back to America. He wasn't here so much. But there was a long, most of the 90s he was here and we had the same management and he had a shop in Camden. So we used to see each other a lot. But then he went back and I didn't see him for about seven years or so. And then um, I got a phone call six months before he passed that he was at Camden, the very first place that we met, if you remember. And I went to the concert and because um, he asked me to come, I went and I said to his manager, he don't look so good. He looks very thin. Why is he so thin looking? And, you know, she said, no, he's just, you know, he's OK. He's just a bit tired. You know, the, you know, he's touring with the third eye girl. But I knew something wasn't right. And they just. I just quickly smiled at him, smiled back from the stage. That's the last I saw him after that he died. So it felt to me like it was a 360. I met him there and that's the last place I saw him. He couldn't, he couldn't make it up. Crazy, right? Mm. Yeah. God bless him. He was a great guy. Was great. Never be another. Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists, and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile 
You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of the magazine that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. If you're enjoying this interview, you will love Premier Christianity magazine. It's giving you a glimpse into all that God is doing in the UK church and beyond. Every month we feature great interviews like this one. There's real life stories, there's book reviews, there's columnists, there's so much to enjoy. And you can get a free sample copy of the new issue now. Just head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. All right, time to rejoin the conversation taking place today between Premier's very own Ibe and the singer and actress Misha Paris. Misha's latest album is entitled Gospel. We're going to be hearing loads more from her. Let's have a listen. You've worked with Prince, you've worked with Rod Templeton, um, who's another genius writer from, I mean, he wrote for Michael Jackson, he was in the group Heat Wave. Uh, you worked with Michael. Yeah, he wrote Thriller. Yeah. He wrote Rock With You, Off The Wall. I mean, for me, it's all about the Off The Wall album. You know, that album is ridiculous, as you know, because that was a game changer for the music industry. You know, that, that record changed the face of R&B overnight. Yes. The minute you saw Rock With You, Man, that was the end. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the fact that he came from Heatwave and 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 Quincy heard, you know, Always and Forever and those tunes there and, and asked him to come over, you know. The story of Rod is really interesting. But so basically how it happened with me and him was, you know, uh, I went to go and work with him in LA. When I turned up outside his house, um, he, he opened the door and he goes, so what do you want? <laughs> Never met the guy in my life. Proper northerner, you know. He's from Grimsby, you know. What do you want? And I was like, well, I kind of want you to write us. And I'm talking, but I'm at the door still. I haven't gone in the house yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the door, right? So I go, I want you to write me a song that's like always and forever. And that was just, that was it. I got him. He was just flawed. Because everyone wanted Michael stuff yes. at that time. And like, here I was say no I want, want heatwave stuff yeah that's right and I went there and so that was the beginning of our love affair and we became really good friends and then I he wrote you put a move on my heart four days later and so I uh you know that's uh that's how that was the first song Rod wrote for me was you put a move on my heart and then uh he wrote another four songs on that album whisper of prayer yeah. and Nardo Michael Warden did the rest. Uh, I wrote a couple of them. I want to hold on to you. I wrote that and some of the other tunes I co-wrote and stuff. And uh, Rod and I became really good friends. And uh, that was a 30 year friendship. And then I made a, I made a record with Rod uh, just before he died uh, two years ago. Um, but I don't know if that's ever going to see the light of day, but it's uh, we made a whole album. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've had some real class. I mean, should have known better that that song was so big underground and we waited years for it to come out. Why was they, they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me. I, I wrote the song in 1987. Uh, I used to have a Scirocco then. It was just before I got signed. It was my first car. I was very excited about that car. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember driving around London in the car and, and the bass line came to me. I, I just remember the bass line. The ba- you know, I write bass lines first. That's how I write the song first, you know, even with I Want to Hold On To You and all the other songs, You Carefree, all those songs. I go with the bass first and then I put the lyric on top. So I hum the part to the bass player 
I hum it to him and tell him what to play, put it down, record it, then I add everything else after, you know. I don't know if I work like that because I'm left-handed or what, but that's how I write. So I, I, I wrote the demo, did the demo with Paul, my, my bass guy, Paul Powell, who's just ridiculous as a player, comes from the church, as you know. He's insane. And so I wrote the song uh, with Paul and, um, you know, um, put the song down and everything else. And it's very tough for a female to write the song by themselves and not be a player. Because what happens is, is the musicians sometimes want to take your song. But then I'm like, well, no, you can't because I'm writing it, telling you what to play. So therefore it's mine. It's not yours. Not that if you, if you write some stuff to it, hey, you can get a piece. But, you know, th- th- that was tough for me because I was a kid and they just didn't get it. They just like, what's this girl coming and telling us how to play the bass? What are you doing? Paul was great. Paul was very um, receptive. He, he, everything I said, he did. He didn't have an issue with it. He knew I knew what I wanted and he just did it. So we put the demo down and I played it when we got to the deal now and I had my deal and everything. And I played it to the record company and, and they said it was too urban. And they, it's not right. Remember, I'm having hits with my One Temptation, Where's the Love? And here I come in with this urban tune now. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, it's too urban. And so I was so really annoyed about that. So I ended up putting all those songs that I wrote on B-sides. So you'll find that that first album, all the singles, the B-sides are really good. They've got some really good stuff on there, but they just didn't think it was commercial. So I used to just stick everything on the B. And of course, Prince always said to me, you know, you know, just put some stuff on the back, you know, just... just make some b-sides he that's what he used to do too he put some of the stuff that wasn't as radio friendly on the b and so that's what we did we always used to put the money when the record company said no i'd stick it on the b-side but what happened was everyone was buying that song for the b-side this is what happened we shouldn't know better people just went nuts but anyway cut long story short let me go back to when i wrote the song and i tried to get it on uh, uh they weren't buying the song they didn't want it then I heard there's nothing like this on the radio one day. I was driving down the road and in my Shiroko again, and I heard there's nothing like this by Omar. And I was, oh, who's that? That sounds great. So I called up Ireland and I said, there's this song I heard on the radio. There's nothing like this. I don't know what the guy's name is, but it's really good. Can you find him? And they did. They found him. And it was, and it was, it was Omar. So I called up Omar. They got, got me his number. I called him up and I said, I've got this amazing tune. I, I don't know what it is about this song. I wrote it like a year and a half ago. But I think, man, if you just did a remix for me, I think it could really be a killer, right? So I went down to the green room in, in Island Records. They had a place called the green room. And, and we went in there and, and Omar did a remix for me. Oh my God, it was fantastic. And he took the bass that I'd written, made it into a Moog sound instead. And oh, wow, that was, and then he, and then he started doing all these funky things to it. And I was like, oh yeah, hello, oh, lovely. And so that was where the remix came. And, and, and so that song has been battered <laughs> to get to where it is. And then it took me 10 years to put it on Black Angel. That's how long it took me to get it on a proper... So because I produced Black Angel, I wrote and produced that album. I've only written and produced two albums in my life, which is Contribution and, and Black Angel. And so they wouldn't let me put it on Contribution. Um, so I put it on Black Angel instead, and, and then everyone just like, oh, finally, Misha. That's years later. I mean, if you look at Black Angel came out in 97, yeah. that's a long wait. <laughs> so yeah. from... <laughs> from 87 yeah from 87 to 97 that's how long it took me to get the go ahead 
So, um, contribution. Um, that, that's one of my. Oh, that was um, tough too. Um, and, <laughs> tough uh, as well. How did you get Rakim on? on well, okay, so I went through. So after the explosion of So Good, the, and, uh, the first album, I, being the artist nutter that I am, I didn't want to make the same album twice. That's just how I am. I'd never do the same thing twice. And, uh, um, but record companies don't work like that. But I didn't know that at the time. I thought, well, you, you see, I've, you know, I've sold Green Ninja Records. Come on, I'm doing good. What's the problem? I just want to make a different kind of record now because it, it, to keep it fresh. You know, and right now, and right then, it was like hip hop was meeting soul at that time, and there was all these fusions going on. And I, I, I want to be a part of this. This is great, <laughs> you know. So that now you want to make the same album again, and I'm like, no, but I want to do. So anyway, they weren't listening. So I had an American manager, which was great, and he basically sorted it out that I could fly to New York because I was living in New York back and forth, uh, you know, from London to New York. I was living. There. This is the days when you took Concorde. Do you remember those days yes. when you could just yeah, jump yeah. on a Concorde? Yeah, you'd be you'd be in New York in like three and a half, four hours tops. Yeah. Well, not even four hours, three and a half hours. Boom, you were there. So that's how we used to do it. It was great times. Those were the good days. And um, I told my manager, "Can you find me some people that can write with me? Um, because I want to make this fusion of of the hip hop meets the soul and this kind of vibe. I really want to make a record like that. That's where I was. I was thinking, I was listening to Mantronic. I was listening to all these people. I was like, I want to work with these people. So he found me these two guys in Brooklyn. They literally just graduated from Berkeley Music College, right? And they came to meet me. And the minute I met with the two guys, I just knew they were great. I thought they were fabulous. And we got in the studio in Brooklyn. We started playing around and writing together and stuff and it started to sound dope and then we went to uh, unique in times square to start making the record because i just knew these guys were right the songs we were writing were really good who can we blame truth and honesty and all that stuff i mean this is the stuff that was coming out of me you know i just because mm. i was starting to see that this industry is not what i thought it was you see remember i've got the first album under the way out the way i'm slightly getting a bit older i'm 21 now Things are a little bit different from when I started at 17. It's like, wow, eye opener. So also just the, the inequality of the industry and, and, and just how black music was just so marginalized and all of these things I was seeing, I just, I didn't like what I saw. So Contribution was a breakout record in terms of me just being a little bit upset with the fact that I started to see that this industry isn't what I thought it was, right? Yeah. We started writing the songs, we go into Unique. When I'm walking into the studio in Unique now, I walk past, I see, I'm like, oh, who's that in that studio? Oh, Big Daddy Kane. Sat there in the studio mixing, and, I, and I'm not even gonna tell you what was on the screen in there, because it was so, it was just not right, okay? But what he was watching was not right, okay? But I tried to not look at the screen, and I just knocked, knocked the door, and I was like, hi, I really think you're great, you're amazing. I said, hey, it's lovely to meet you, man. I saw you on David Lerman. It was really good. I said, whatever. And then I was like, all right, take care. Bye. I already made up my mind at that point. He was definitely not going to be on a record. <laughs> Only because love Big Daddy K, love him. But what he was watching, no. Yeah. Right. Remember, I still got the church thing in there now a little bit. It's still in there. Come Even on. though I'm away <laughs> from it, it's still in there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -mm. So I carried on walking down the thing. And then I looked in the other door. And, and it's Rakim. He's in there with uh, Eric B. And I'm going... Oh my gosh, knowing that we're label mates, right? Thinking, 
oh, well, he's going to like you because we're on the same label for sure. Mm. So I just went, knock the door again. Hi, I love Paid in Full. That's my favourite album of all time. Oh, you guys just... I love you. Would you mind um, writing um, a, a verse on my song? I've got this song I've just written called um, Contribution and it's such a powerful song. And, and he's like, yeah, sure. And literally there was this little piece of paper that he found which was disheveled and he literally wrote on this little piece of paper in two seconds boom and just put it down rakim lovely lovely guy very humble really sweet and um and then after that uh um one day we were walking down the street going in to mix the record and we we saw this choir on the corner of union square uh, or times square and I, I asked the choir on the street, I said, would you lo- like to come in and sing on my record? And they said, oh, hell yeah. And I was like, yeah, good, great, come. So I brought them all in. Come to find out, years later, <laughs> it's going to freak you out. I'm at Brit Awards, right? And this had to be a good 10, 12 years later. Mm. And I'm there, and then Lauren Hill, who's killing it that year, so she's, that's the year she just tore it up. She walks over to me at the Brits and goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, uh, no, but I love your record. It's fantastic. <laughs> and she said, Misha, I'm on your album contribution. I was in the choir. Wow. What? I had no idea. Honey, when I went, I said, well, thank babe. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Go home. Check the, check the notes in the back. Lauren Hill, her name is there. She's in the choir. <laughs> I had everyone on that record. And Mantronic was another one. Um, uh, And that's how I met Angie. Angie Stone was writing with Vertical Hold back then with Mantronic. And she was in the session with us. And she and I became best friends to this day. We're still really good mates. Um, I had some incredible people on that record. But still, the record label didn't want to support the record. They just didn't. They didn't like the fact that I went the other way. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely one of my favorite albums. Uh, in fact, I was playing it this morning. So, oh my <laughs> gosh, on the way here, yeah. So I'm singing and dancing. Yeah, people looking. No, but I remember. I remember that it, it was the street that loved it, and I remember even Nena. I remember um, um, Nena Cherry like reaching out to me and saying, "Misha, well done for for making that record." Because she she knew she knew what that meant. That meant that I went against the grain, you know. But I wasn't looking at it like that. I was just I'm an artist. I just wanted to express myself and expressing yourself as an artist you want to grow and you can't grow if you just make the same thing all the time you know i I, for me that's like a death now coming back to the new album um yeah gospel gospel Uh, are there any um artists in this country that you're looking at that you've probably seen gospel artists that you think oh yeah i kind of like the sound of them yeah there's some really good ones there's a the volney volney is good um and ye ye volney and ye i think it, i'm yeah. not very good at the names volney's great um there's some really good there's some very good ones um I'm trying to remember the name shriek shriek there's a girl she's got a beautiful voice she's got a new record out right now but i'm not going to remember her name sorry but she's really good there's a girl that's really good and i think she's um she's african she's an african singer and she's really new she's a new artist and i don't know her name but i might have to look it up in a minute 
Shereen? after I finish with you, just so that you Yeah. Shereen? Is that it? Yeah. yeah, it's her. Yeah. And um she's got a lovely record, but I I'm not gonna remember the name of the record, it but it's very good. What's it? It's a new record. I have to look it up. Yeah. But anyway, she's so good, I actually Right. She's so good, I've literally earmarked her for my radio show on Christmas Day. Um I've got her on there, uh Volney and Basil and I've got PJ Morton. I I've got an interview with him as well. He's amazing. He's done exactly what I've done, which is bizarre. We've never met each other. <laughs> so we were talking about the fact that, you know, we were running from the church all our lives and here we are. <laughs> You're back. Full and circle. he's he's got yeah, and he's got an album called The Gospel According to PJ. And I did a series called The Gospel According to Misha. And I've just made a record called Gospel. So we were talking about how we were just like back in the day saying, there's no way I'm going to make a gospel record. Well, I'm not going back to And here we are. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's interesting. I, I just, as I said, the documentary brought me home. And also I wanted to pay homage to my grandparents, you know, because without that moral compass that they gave me there's no way I could have lasted all these years 30 odd years in the business I couldn't have done it mm. I couldn't because you know I just remember my grandmother always saying to me you know just remember you must always find your bed at night time as long as you're in your bed at night you're doing good she used to say and preferably alone all right <laughs> <laughs> But she was right, you know, because everyone was partying for days uh, days on it. I was always the first to leave. I was always going on. I always used to hear her in my head going, remember you, I always have to go in your bed every night. You know, she was like... <laughs> How's the transition been from... Because, you know, um, when we grew up, it, there were street teams. We didn't have internet or things like that. So how's the transition been from uh, the, you know, working on the street to promote your stuff to the transition of, it being on digital how's that been for you well you know it, i tried to do both i'm not a person to do either or look even with this album you know as i said to you i wanted it to be authentic gospel um i didn't want it to sound like a secular record i wanted it to sound like a gospel record for gospel for me is the is the authentic rawness the proper hand claps people are in there clapping their hands you know the choir are doing that right it's not nothing is uh um, not raw. It's got to be raw and to make it authentic. You can still bring in digital things that sound can, that can sound real, but there's nothing like the real human touch. You know that human. You can feel it. And so I, you know, even when I was talking, my producer, he's amazing. But I, I said to, him, I want the voice to be right here. Yeah. Mm. I want every time I make music. A lot of the times, I find that. Producers, they make it so much about the music and I'm, I'm in the background vocally, you know? And what was nice about this album, I think it's the first album I've ever sort of made. Even, I even criticized my, my own productions when I produced. I, I used to always be so obsessed with the music. I just put the voice on top of it as a last minute. <laughs> because when you produce a record, you get so into it, you know? You make sure the bass is right, make sure the sound of the guitar is right, and, the, and make sure the pad and the, the strings. And, the, and you get so into the process of producing. That's why I don't know if I'll produce again. I've produced two albums. I'm not sure I'll ever do it again. It's such hard work. And the voice gets left behind. But what's wonderful about this album is um, I made it in a way that um, I didn't want it to be like contemporary gospel is now. I'm not a fan of contemporary gospel, to be straight. I'm still listening to the Hawkins now. I still listen to them. Once in a while, you'll hear a Mary Mary 
make a, a, a Hawking-esque, Crouch-esque kind of record. They'll do it once in a while. Uh, but the Clarks do it all the time. For me, the Clarks always keep it like it was back in the day. That's my time. And so I've made the album very much like, you know, my childhood, what I associate gospel to be. And that kind of gospel, uh, the Hawkins and Crouch, Andre Crouch and all that stuff, you can't mess with that. It's, it's a whole, it will rock you to the core. It really will. And um, so, you know, I chose these songs because I wanted to make a, a gospel album that, that just gave people that hope and faith, even if they don't believe. It made them feel something. And the only way you can do that is when you're really authentically trying to give the message. Because that's what gospel is. The difference with gospel is that it's about the message. It's about giving people hope. It's about, my grandparents used to say, you know, you have a gift, Michelle. You have a gift, but it is not yours. You're a servant and you have to give the gift to the people. And I've always maintained that, that I am literally just a vessel. I, um, I don't go to church. Um, I don't do any of that, but I've always prayed. Prayer is very important to me. And usually like around this time of the year, I usually get prayer meetings in my house. I love prayer meetings. Prayer meeting for me is the, is the one because you really feel the presence when you pray, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not into organized religion and all of that. I just find it, you know, you know to me, there are many roads to the divine and, and I respect everybody's different way of getting to the divine. For me, it's all about your intention and as long as you're good and do unto others as you do unto yourself. You know, it's all that. It's, that's the moral code we've got to get back to is we've got to, we've got to be like him. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even religious, but I'm telling you, Jesus is like, he wouldn't have it. He wouldn't close the churches if the people told him to close the churches. He wouldn't say, stop singing. He'd be, he'd listen. <laughs> you know, I, I was saying that to a mate of mine the other day. I was saying it, I was Basil. I was talking to Basil. And I was like, you know, Jesus would have been right up there in parliament, rocking up the place saying, you will not, you will not close these churches. And I, I, I think Christians need to, and all religious organizations, they need to get back to that rebellious spirit for, for, for the light. Not be passive. We've got to come out of this passive thing, man. Right? So, but I think it seems to me Kanye West, Stormzy, all of these people that are now going to gospel, there's, a, there's something going on. And we're not even aware that we were all doing it at the same time. When I talked to PJ, I was like, I had no idea. Do you know, it's, none of us knew. But there's definitely something going on. So it looks like Spirit wants us. Um, he's probably going to do a new thing. Spirit's going to do a new thing. He's going to use different people to get it out. He's going to do a new thing. And I'm like, hey, I'm part of it. Thank you very much. Well, it's, it's that new thing that church has been saying, you know, the, 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 the God is going to do a new thing. It's that new thing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. that yeah, yeah. That but it really is. But it, yeah. but it really is. I mean, since when would you ever see Snoop making a gospel record? I mean, for crying yeah. out loud. You couldn't make it up. Something's going on. Because you see, for me, I, I describe myself as like the prodigal son. You know? And you go out there, you've seen it all, bought a t-shirt, all of it, and you just go, you know what? You, you, you sing a song, a gospel song, like, you know, Oh Happy Day, or He's That Kind of Friend, or anything like that. It's over. End of. Listen, I sing stuff like that. Sing Amazing Grace at Remembrance Day in Royal Albert Hall the other day. 
I had soldiers crying on my shoulder. Like they were just a mess. And, it, and <laughs> that's the power of this music, you know? This music was always this music that takes people somewhere else and it takes them away from the pain of, you know, when life is hard. Life is hard right now. And obviously Spirit is using us to comfort the people with the music. That's why this album is so important uh, to, to just help people, give them that virtual hug that they can't have physically right now. Yeah, you're right. It's needed. It's definitely needed. And it's, it's making a difference at this moment in time. So thank you yeah, for yeah. doing that album. Thank you. Just Thank you, darling. But don't think I want to be a minister now. Don't be like going under. Oh, yeah, she's going to be a pastor now. No. My sister's like, yeah, you're coming. You're on your way. I'm like, yeah, yeah. See you, see you later. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Let's talk about EastEnders and how that came about. Apparently, you were shooting in um, during the COVID situation. What was that like? And how, how did they? Well, I, you know, it, it's quite. Uh, I flew back from making a documentary in December. This is what I was trying to say to you was so strange. Imagine I shot this documentary November, December last year. Mm. Black Lives Matter hadn't happened yet. But if you watched this documentary, you would have thought I made that documentary because of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's crazy. But no, I shot that in November last year. And um, after I flew back, then I, I, I was asked to go to a couple of auditions. And my agent said, I, I, you know, he said, um, Misha, EastEnders would like you to go in to do a casting. I was like, EastEnders? Really? No, I'll never get that. He said, no, just go. And I thought, all right, cool. So I went in, did it. Then I got a recall. And I thought, cool. Ooh, so they, they kind of like their abs. They're not going to go for it. I thought, probably just doing it because they like my music or something. You know me. You know how I think. <laughs> and then it was the day before lockdown. I got the phone call. You got it. What? I was in so much shock. Because, look, I literally went there not thinking I would ever get that thing, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of EastEnders from back in the day. You know, we all used to watch it. You know what I'm saying? It's like this part of, you know, national heritage. You know, <laughs> it's proper. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, the problem with the lockdown after the, so I found out the day before lockdown, so I had to wait all the way till July <laughs> to shoot. And uh, so we went in there and we started shooting in July and I finished at the end of August. And it was amazing. I walked in there that we see Albert Square for the first time. It's just like, wow, this thing is so real. I've been seeing it on TV forever. And here I am yeah. standing next to the Queen Vic. Very, very shocking. And, uh, and when I saw Steve, sorry, uh, Phil to you, Phil, oh, yeah, Steve, Steve's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, Steve's great, McFadden. And, and, and he's just a sweetheart and he's a big time cook and I'm a big time cook. And um, so we were talking food, music, he loves his music. It's a proper ska man, he loves his ska music and I love ska music. So we got on like a house on fire. And then the minute we got on set, it was like two Range Rovers facing each other. You know, we were just, it was like guns drawn at dawn, you know, it was them ones and it was like, <laughs> and sometimes while we were filming it, every now and then we'd crackle, you know, we'd just crack and laugh, you know, because it was so like, it was, he's just a really nice guy, really good people, really good people. And so is Diane, Diane's great. Does he really talk like, 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 mate, is he, is he really talk? Nah, not so much, a little bit softer. He's, he's, he's a little bit softer than that. He's still proper London and he's in there, but not as strong as um, the accent in the show. And so, Misha, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, baby. And I'm so glad to be talking to you guys. My grandmother used to listen to you guys every day. Oh, Misha Paris, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you.